Take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. While you're turning there, celebration, didn't get to share with you last week. We had, as far as we know, three decisions for Christ at VBS uh, two weeks ago. So we're real excited about that. Y'all better clap. That is wonderful. Um, I'm sure you'll be hearing about those further later on. A um, couple of things I want to remind you of. Yes, the SBC Q&A this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Uh, we will have brownies and ice cream. Uh, that will be after we have the Q&As. The Q&A will start at 4. Uh, don't go sneaking around getting the brownies and ice cream before that. Um, we'll be done hopefully in time uh, to start, go get our, our brownies and ice cream start radical somewhere around on time. We're not too worried about it. It's a little flexible tonight. Um, so make plans to come to that. Uh, brief plug for, uh, there are a couple of things I'm talking about here, for the family mission trip to Tucson. Uh, that interest meeting is, is next Sunday after church. Couple of brief details. Uh, we leave after school on Wednesday. We get back Monday evening, uh, the, the, next, uh, the next Monday. That's fall break, so kids are out of school for Thursday, Friday, and Monday of, of that time. That's when we planned it for that time. This is a preview service weekend for One Hope Church, Timbo and Robin Fowler's church in Tucson, the church planners that we are supporting financially uh, with a monthly gift. Um, so we will be there. Uh, we'll travel Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, we will spend some time doing uh, canvassing neighborhoods for them, handing out stuff. We will probably have, I think he does a movie night on Saturday night before the preview service, so we'll be helping them with that, and then we'll go to the service with them Sunday morning. We'll leave after lunch. Uh, if you're thinking, well, I just, that's a lot of traveling squished together, church vans will be going. We are spending the night in, uh, somewhere out in West Texas, coming and going. But if you're thinking, I need more time to travel, if you want to drive yourself and you want to leave a little earlier and take a little longer to come back, that is no problem. Uh, I want as many of us to go as possible to help them with their church plant. So if that works better for you, you don't have kids in schools, you're like, I want to leave on Tuesday and you know, come back the next Friday, go for it. Just Friday, Saturday, and half a day on Sunday, be in Tucson so we can help them with their work. So now you can go, oh, well, I was, didn't want to, but now I'll come to the interest meeting and listen to it. There, that's, that, that help frees you up to come to that interest meeting and talk about that. So that's next week. Um, that flows into the shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, I, I wear a lot of SBC-related somehow T-shirts on Sunday mornings, and I just kind of did it more as a subliminal message in the past, but I got to thinking, you know, I need to explain what I'm wearing, why I'm wearing that. This is a NAM T-shirt, North American Mission Board, that we support through our cooperative program giving through the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you give a dollar to the church, we send 10 cents of that on to the Southern Baptist Convention, and part of that money flows to the North American Mission Board. North American Mission Board plants churches. North American Mission Board is also supporting Timbo and Robin Fowler and their church plant, One Hope Church in Tucson. So this is an encouragement to you to pray for NAM, pray for our Southern Baptist church planters specifically, um, Timbo and Robin Fowler and their work in Tucson, and to know that part of every penny you give goes to help these church plants. This is a reminder. I'm sure there's a story behind that this is my story. I got this at the convention a few weeks ago. They may have been telling about it. I missed that part, um, I guess. I do know it's the line from the hymn, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all day long, so maybe that's all it's about. I don't know. But when you think about Nam, think about, all right, my story of coming to Jesus is because of a church somewhere that somebody started. Well, that's what we're wanting to do in Tucson. Start a church so that somebody in Tucson can come to Jesus. That's all the commercials I have this morning. 
Jeremiah chapter 23. We're looking at verses 1 through 12. The title of the sermon is, What They Won't Tell You. And we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes after we do our memory verse that we have not done in weeks. And uh, somebody put more blanks in there from the last time. I'm not going to say who. Um, But uh, so if you need a cheat sheet, go ahead and pull that out because I'm pretty sure I'm going to use it. All right. Let's say it together. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when when what comes? Drought comes. There we go. And its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Cease, what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry, when heat comes. I should have looked at my thing. I should have cheated. All right, when heat comes. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. We'll get in that rhythm now that uh, uh, we're, we are going to be in Jeremiah for the next two months. All right. What? What they won't tell you, or another title for this sermon that I considered, the bad news, the good news, and the bad news tellers. Not the bad news tellers, but like the bad news bears. The, 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 not like the bad news bears, but the bad news tellers. What are we talking about? Well, let's, let's be honest up front. Nobody gets it right all the time. They don't, none of you are perfect. Uh, I may be surprising you, some of you, you're like, mm-hmm. no, you're not. You get it wrong sometimes. Uh, but there's a big difference between thinking, believing, and trying to be right and intentionally get it wrong. You, you, you think you're right, you believe you're right, you're trying to be right, and you just get it wrong versus well, I'm going to intentionally be wrong on this or get it, do wrong here in this situation. Uh, George Washington, in his farewell address, uh, we watched Hamilton again this week, 4th of July, so we, we, uh, we watched that, and I was reminded uh, of, of this part of his speech uh, in his farewell address. You need to read the whole thing, by the way, if you never had. Uh, I had not until this week. Toward the end, he says... Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error, I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence and that after 45 years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion as myself must soon be to the mansions of rest. We look back on Washington uh, rightfully with admiration and all that he did and his his, uh, his abilities to, to lead militarily, politically, and, and, and we should. And, but watching Hamilton again just reminded me one more time of how incredible it was that he said two terms and I'm done. Uh, incredible that he would not be called His Excellency, Your Majesty, it was... Mr. President, he he lowered all that. He just so so the fact that he stepped down at all is incredible. But then, as he stepped down, he said, "Y'all, ain't no doubt I messed it up along the way." But hopefully, the the result, the product, the the continuation is bigger and stronger, and ultimately, God is bigger and stronger than the mistakes that I've made. That's humility. That is understanding your faults and praying that the Lord takes care of them. 
that is not the humility that was shown by the prophets and the kings that Jeremiah is addressing here in this prophecy or throughout his whole book. It, they were not what we talked about at the beginning uh, or what George Washington says, unintentional mistakes, though mistakes are plenty. They were intentionally leading people astray. And we, as a people, live in a good news, bad news world. Or, or maybe to flip that, we live in a bad news, good news world. There is bad news and there is good news. And, and, and the problem with the prophets is they were ignoring the bad news and not sharing the true good news. And neither were the leaders of the day. Our big idea this morning is, as followers of Jesus and believers in his truth, we must be willing to be honest about what is right and what is wrong, what is good, and what is evil. And I'm not talking about telling the world that act, that's acting like the world how wrong and evil and everything that they are. And, and yes, it is wrong and evil, but that, that takes no, I don't say no, it doesn't take as much courage doesn't take as much fortitude, and certainly isn't what God is talking about to us here through Jeremiah as telling the church that's acting like the world what is wrong and what is evil. The prophets, the shepherds, they weren't telling the people what was wrong and what was evil. The very people who should have been acting differently and doing differently. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, what, what they won't tell you. Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered the flock banished them, and have not attended to them. I'm about to attend to you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Look, the days are coming... This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Look, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the land of the north and from all the other countries where I had banished them, they will dwell once more in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. This is Jeremiah talking now. And all my bones tremble. I have become like a drunkard, like a man overcome with wine, because the Lord, because of his holy words... Because of the Lord, because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. The land mourns because of the curse. And the grazing lands in the wilderness have dried up. Their way of life has become evil and their power is not rightly used. Because both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore their way will seem like slippery paths in the gloom. They will be driven away and fall down there, for I will bring disaster on them the year of their punishment. This is the Lord's declaration. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would hide me behind your words, Lord, that nothing I say is anything of me but all of you. Lord, let your scripture reign supreme. Let your message be what's heard. Lord, forgive me of my failings and my faults, my sinfulness. And may the message not be adulterated by the inability of the messenger. Lord, may your 
word reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the alternative title of the bad news, the good news, and the bad news tellers became my three points. The bad news. Jeremiah starts with the bad news in verses 1 through 4. He lets them know that the shepherds have not been shepherding the way they should have. They have not been leading the way they shouldn't have. And this is not mere negligence on the part of these shepherds. It is deliberate harm. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter. That's not forgetfulness. That's not oversleeping. That's not being a little loose with uh, their responsibilities. This is intentional. But these, this destruction and this scattering was also God's punishment on the disobedient, beginning with the kings, beginning with the shepherds, but also flowing to the people who are being scattered, who have been destroyed. Because if you look at verse 3, he says, You have scattered my flock. I'm sorry, I'm I'm in verse 2. You have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. Then he says in verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them. See, it goes hand in hand. The people have earned their destruction. They have earned their banishment. In part, and it's their fault because it's their responsibility, for following these bad leaders. The leaders are responsible for doing it. And the people are responsible for following God's anger has now turned to Israel. But it doesn't stop with his anger. Grace comes later, but let's look at the anger first. He says it in Jeremiah 18. He's getting them ready. He's warning them. Jeremiah 18, 11 and 12. So now say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. This is Jerusalem. This is his people. Turn now, each from your evil way, and correct your ways and your deeds. Verse 12. But they will say, it's hopeless. We will continue to follow our plans, and each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Then in chapter uh, 21, verse 5, in case it wasn't clear enough in chapter 18... 21.5 says, I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a strong arm with anger, rage, and intense wrath. And if we're not careful, we'll say, well, certainly he's talking about the Ammonites or the Moabites or some of the other ites around the Israelites. He can't be talking to his people, and yet he is talking to his people. Israel, I will fight against you. With an outstretched hand, a strong arm, with anger, rage, and intense wrath. The people had earned their destruction. They had earned their disobedience by following these bad leaders. And then God used the leaders to punish the disobedient people. Now... There were leaders in this time, in, ver- in chapter 23, who didn't claim to follow God. And there were leaders who did claim to follow God. There were plenty, like Manasseh, like others, that just totally rebelled against God and didn't look anything like something God would expect. There are others that would whitewash their plans, their uh, sins, and say, oh, God has led me to this. God has told me to do this. God is telling me to lead the people this way. But in fact, this passage tells us that they were in it for themselves. They were in it not for the people. They were, uh, uh, they had evil acts, it says in verse 2. The people will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. They were not concerned, the leaders were, weren't, rather, about the people. They were only concerned about themselves. And if you go back and you read Second Kings, you see it over and over and over through the leaders of both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. 
earthly shepherds will fail. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. It's not an if, it's a when. It's not a maybe, it's a will. Now, when we hear the word shepherd, because of the New Testament, we think of pastors when we think of the term shepherd, or at least we tend to. We read this, I read this passage, uh, this first section, verses 1 through 4, and I immediately want to take that and go, oh, he's talking about uh, religious leaders. Well, no, he's talking about kings, you know, the, the kings of Israel. Now, they were supposed to be religious leaders. They were supposed to be in the mold of David, though he messed it up. You, you take one step back, they were supposed to be even more in the mold of like Samuel, who served as a, a prophet, a priest, and a king. He was a judge. He was the last living judge. But he served that, that role in that way. The kings were supposed to be not just political leaders, but moral and spiritual leaders. David did better than any other, but we know he had his failings. And it was downhill from there until it just got worse. Why? Because they were disobedient. The shepherds, the kings, did not lead the way they were supposed to. So we, we, we think pastor, but he's talking about kings. We cannot get away from the context. But it certainly doesn't hurt to, to think of churches with pastors that do the same thing. The reality is the church has only one king. And the pastor ain't it. And none of the deacons are either. And the oldest member isn't and the youngest member isn't. There is only one king in the church and we look for no more. It, Jeremiah tells them in verse 4, I'm going to raise up shepherds, kings, over them who will do all the things they're supposed to. Well, we realize when we read on a little bit more in just a minute, he's going to raise up one king. And we, as the New Testament church, don't look for another king. We're not waiting for kings. Our king has come. Our king has staked his claim. The kingdom has come to earth. And one day he will come back, gather his kingdom, and take us home. We only have one king, but the shepherds in the church, the shepherds, not the king, the shepherd of the church, must Tend the church flock. And we shepherds, we pastors, which is what the word pastor means, shepherd. We, like Washington, we try and we fail. I, I could give Washington's little speech, section of speech, every Sunday and say, though I'm not aware necessarily, I'm certain that this week I have messed some things up as pastor of First Baptist Sulphur. And our prayer is that God, like I prayed before the message, averts or mitigates the evil that comes from our failings. I've had to apologize, I don't know how many times, occasionally from the pulpit for things that I have done wrong. Some, most of the time, I'll even say, it was an accident. I, I will, I'll even, I've done this from the pulpit, so I'll remind some of you, most of you have probably forgotten. We, years ago, uh, we had a, a, a family member of somebody who worked in the office that, that died. And through a, a sequence of events, because I was gone one day and came back the next day and was really busy, I never even mentioned the death of that family member to that person that worked in the office. And there was family just in the congregation that didn't work in the office. I even forgot about the funeral because it wasn't a conversation that we had during the week. It just completely slipped my mind. Now that, I was not sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to that funeral. I just pff, was gone. And I had to stand here because I realized Sunday when I saw the family members, uh-oh, what had happened? And I had to stand here and apologize. And, and, and that could be repeated regularly because earthly shepherds will fail. And we pray that 
God covers the failings and pulls the church through the failings. But what we need to see, what we need to understand, what Jeremiah is now going to move to in this next section is the good shepherd, the king that never fails. That is the good news of verses 5 through 8. See, God has a better king in store. Jeremiah could have been talking about, uh, he's, he's talking to Zedekiah and a couple of other kings uh, right before him that, that led to the Babylonian captivity. And he could have and was looking forward to leaders. There was never another king of Israel. After this, no other king stepped up. They had leaders, they had rebellions, they had governors. Ezra, Nehemiah come to mind, authors of Scripture. We, we, they had these leaders, but never a king again. Still haven't to this day. They, Jeremiah had in mind these shepherds, kings, leaders that would lead you properly, Ezra, Nehemiah. But he had in mind, though he may not have known it, the one king that was coming. Better than any earthly king, and a better shepherd than any earthly shepherd. That's why I'm thankful this isn't my church. I'm not the king of this church. Jesus is. I'm the under-shepherd of the great shepherd. That's all. I I work at his uh, behest, at his will, according to his will, as best as I can do it. And God says through Jeremiah, there's one better coming. Y'all, one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to have a good shepherd, a great shepherd, a better shepherd. Jeremiah says that you've got these kings, you've got these shepherds, you've got these leaders. This one king is going to be this righteous branch, or shoot is a good word for that branch that he talks about in verse uh, 5. The the, the tree of David's line is going to be cut down. There's not going to be a, a, a... family tree of Davidic kings anymore. It's cut down to the stump, but one day, y'all have those stumps in your yard, you cut the tree down, and then suddenly, after a while, this twig starts growing from it, you're like, I cut you down, what are you doing? But there it is. That's the king that's coming. A growth is going to come from that stump, and he says it's going to bring in Israel and Judah. Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is reconciliation. Israel and Judah reconciled because they split a long time ago. But they will be reconciled and not just reconciled, but they will be forgiven. Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. Now, he just, Jeremiah, through the Holy Spirit, just slapped Zedekiah in the face. Because Zedekiah's name means he, Yahweh, is my righteousness. Zedekiah. The Yah on the end is God. Zedek is righteousness. Yahweh is my righteousness. God says this new fellow's name, this new king, his, his name is going to be the Lord is our righteousness. And you know what? He's going to actually live it out. It's a repudiation of Zedekiah. It's a better king for everybody, Israel and Judah. And it doesn't matter their name, their title, their affiliation, or their stated beliefs. It doesn't matter who the leader is. It doesn't matter how good you think the leader is. Ezra and Nehemiah were great leaders. The good shepherd, the one who's coming, is going to be better than them. John the Baptist was a great leader to the people 400 years later, but the good shepherd, he was not worthy to even tie his shoes. He knew. Paul, great missionary, writer of half the New Testament. Nope. He knew. I am nothing. I'm the chief of sinners. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who is coming is the one who will outdo them all. And the great shepherd will never fail. He won't. He won't mess up. He has not messed up. Messed up. I've seen on social media floating around, uh, were you hurt by the church? That was people 
not God. And it's, it's a little flippant, it's, it's too short as most uh, social media posts are. They're supposed to drive home a point and make you think and then you work out the fuller context around that. But the essence is true. Shepherds fail. People fail. Jesus never does. He will lead. The days are coming when he will lead, he will be called righteous. He will save Judah. He, Israel, because of him, will dwell securely. He will be wise. He will administer justice and righteousness. We, we, we can't find anybody else like that. We look in history, we, we, find, we, we look closely, and sometimes we don't even have to look that closely. We find the flaws. We find the faults. Good shepherd, we never, never fail. And we have a mandate to share the bad news. Leaders are going to fail you. Shepherds are going to fail you. To share the good news, there's a great shepherd coming. Actually, for us, he's already here. The great shepherd has come. But unfortunately, there are, number three, the bad news tellers. Verses 9 and 10 and 11, 9, 10, and 11, are Jeremiah bemoaning, mourning over the bad prophets. And verse 12 is God's response to that through Jeremiah. These bad news tellers are, are the ones that are supposed to be warning when the people aren't obeying Scripture. Priests teach, prophets warn generally. We don't really have the, the two offices specifically anymore. We do have the giftings among the church. But, but the prophets are supposed to be warning when the people aren't obeying Scripture or at this time, specifically, telling the people what God is saying right then that isn't in Scripture. Revelation was still going on. God was still speaking, and people were writing it down. And we believe, I believe, that ended at Revelation. Scripture got closed. No longer was there new Revelation. There was nothing new to tell us. It was all in Scripture at this point. Now, after the New Testament, we, we have those that do the first that I just said, the, the ones that are, are warning when people aren't obeying Scripture. We don't have anybody, and if you find somebody that is saying this, run from them. We don't have anybody telling us what God is saying right now that isn't in Scripture. If somebody says, this isn't in Scripture, but I believe God is saying, back up, and then turn around, and then run. Because they are not going to tell you, if it's not in Scripture, that doesn't mean things like, I'm going to tell you how to change your oil, and that's not in Scripture. Well, they're right. You won't find how to change your oil in Scripture. But if they say, God is saying that you should be this way, and that goes against Scripture, that's when you run. In uh, 1989, a Pop group, rock group, the violent films. Jamie, what would you classify them as? They're odd, as the name would indicate. They, they, were, they are punk, but they're, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, an odd group. They had a song called Lies. Interesting song to listen to just on its style alone. But... The, the second verse, then going into the chorus, the second verse said, On the motel TV, I dig the evangelist. he tell you about all that, and then he tell you about all this. He's preaching up a storm by the Sea of Galilee. He's mixing up the truth with something funny. I start to see he's telling lies, 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 lies. It's the way the chorus goes, but with a little more melody. They weren't wrong. Now, I don't know that they would necessarily, I don't know their spiritual state. I don't know what they called the truth. But they were not wrong in diagnosing not just televangelists, 
but even preachers like y'all. Yeah, y'all are preachers. You preach with your words and your actions all the time. Preachers just like the one standing in front of you this morning. We all have the capacity, and if it benefits us enough, the propensity to lie, to mix the truth with something that sounds funny. My prayer is, not just when I pray it out loud in front of you on Sunday morning, but every Sunday, that I don't mix something funny with the truth. I ain't talking about humor. I'm talking about something off. That smells funny. You know, we're not laughing about it. That's, that's, that's icky. And that's what we don't want in messages. These prophets were telling lies, 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 lies. And it crushes the true prophet to hear these false ones. Jeremiah uses some, he feels like a drunkard. He begins to tremble, over, man overcome by wine. His heart is broken. And, and, and we just read it and we don't get it until we really begin to try to visualize that. And I'm not going to try to stagger like a drunk up here. I'll hurt myself. But do you hear the pain? Why? Because he knows People are lying to his people. Y'all, this is why, and I've I've tried to do better just because I really am trying to be better on social media. That's why I don't engage as much. But I got to tell you, none of you in here, of course, it's other people. But to see some of the things believers put on social media, that the, the things that they will, and I'm not talking about just their pure meanness or hatred, I'm talking about those things that they say, and I go, that, I'm thinking, that directly contradicts Scripture. Where are you, what are you doing? You know what, it crushes me, because there are other people, they got that from somewhere, and they're usually sharing this person that they listen to, and you're not... You're not weighing this stuff. I'm going I'm to get to that. But it crushes the, the, the true prophet to hear these false ones. And, and, and Jeremiah lays it out here, what they're doing. And in verse 10, uh, they, as he says, they don't tell the truth about the suffering that the people are going through. He says that the false prophets are evil in verse uh, 10 and verse 11. They misuse their power. They are ungodly. Verse 13, a little past what we're talking about, what we're focusing on this morning, but uh, pertinent nonetheless. They prophesied by false gods. If I came in here on a Sunday morning and said, now today I'm not using the Bible, I'm going to be preaching from the Quran. I hope y'all would boo me off the stage. Now, if I'm making an illustration and I quote something from the Quran, that's one thing. But if I am preaching anything other than Scripture, prophesying by anything other than God's Word, then you should all walk out. And that's what these people were doing, prophesying by Baal. They show up in the temple of the Lord, and they say to the people who have come to hear a word from Yahweh, Guys, guess what Baal told me the other day? I don't give two rats what Baal told you. What did God say? Verse 16 kind of wraps it up in one sentence. This is what the Lord of armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord, the Lord has spoken, you will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. That is not the preacher's job. It may make you feel good, but that ain't the preacher's job either. These prophets are preaching their own ideas, their own opinions, not from God's word, from false gods. Preachers have to preach the truth. They can't be 
bad news tellers. Now, sometimes they have to be bad news tellers. But they can never be bad news tellers. Preachers have to preach the truth. But y'all, back up just a second because believers have to tell the truth too. It's not just my responsibility to tell the truth. It's your responsibility to tell the truth. It's our responsibility because I listen to preachers too. I, I have to sit under other people and, and, and listen and, and, and learn and be fed too. It's our responsibility to follow the truth when it's told. That's why when I sit under something like Radical and this guy who's better educated than me, a better preacher than me, smarter than me, gets up and says, by the way, Scripture says this, and you know what? You may not, probably aren't, and then when I started examining my life, realized I am not following it the way I should. My response is, well, I've got to change. I have to follow the truth when it's told. But y'all don't follow blindly. I've told y'all this since the first day I came. You test what the preacher says to see if truth is being told. You listen to what I say and you go, okay, Michael said this. Does that comport with Scripture? One of the scariest things any of you can say. And I know who I'm thinking of at this moment, but I'm not going to call him out because I'm just not going to do that. But one of the scariest things any person can say is, I have changed this about myself because Michael said dot, dot, dot. Ooh, Lord have mercy. What did I just, what did I say? And I mean literally, Lord have mercy. Because, though in reviewing the incidents of my administration or of my sermons, I am unconscious of any intentional error, I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend. I fervently beseech the Almighty to correct once it gets past the ear and into the brain before it gets into the heart of the hearer anything that I may have said wrong. And that you, hearer, when it gets to the brain, you process and you go to Scripture and you test it before you internalize it. I've told you before, I miss, I miss a lot of folks that we've lost over the years who have who've died, who have left, whatever. But one of the people I miss the most is Ted Garner. Because the man did not let me get away with anything from the pulpit. Andy serves a great substitute for Ted, because, but, but Andy's nicer than Ted. Or he says it more nicely than Ted. I knew if Ted said, let's go to lunch. I'm like, oh, there's something I said in my sermon he don't agree with. And we had a great conversation. And that happened regularly. And I missed that. It kept me sharp. And sometimes he'd say, you said this, and I don't think you meant that. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Don's done that to me before, too. You said this. Is that what you meant? Nope, I was referencing this and I can see how when I said it that way it sounded like yeah you're you're right sometimes I've y'all seen it I've had to put on Facebook hey I said this in my sermon what I meant was that is your job to test the preacher not to be testy with the preacher be salt not salty but you want to know the truth you're a sinner bound for hell without Jesus. If you don't hear any other truth this morning, you have to hear that truth. You are a sinner bound for hell without Jesus. 
And the truth is, Jesus is not looking for a quick confession and a cheap conversion. He's looking for a cross-carrying obedience. A cross-carrying obedience that, unlike the prophets, will speak truth to their brothers and sisters. Correct guide. Because Paul says in one of his letters, I think Corinthians, what do I have to do with judging the world? They're the world. They're going to act like the world. My job Our job is to build each other up, to correct each other. That's who we judge. Yeah, judge. Not the Matthew judge not let. Nope, nope, nope. We've talked about that before. We have a responsibility to spur each other on to good works. To not be the bad news shepherds. To trust the good news great shepherd And to share the bad news of our lostness and the good news of hope in Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. That's what we are to do. And it looks like a lot of different things. I I can't, I'm out of time already, so I, I can't go into all the ways that looks. But trust the Holy Spirit. Are you praying? Are you studying his word? Are you reading along with us? The Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth. And he will tell you what this looks like in your life. What, as a follower of Jesus and a believer of his truth, being willing to be honest about what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what that looks like in your life if you will go to him and say, I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. Will you do that this morning? That may look like salvation. Understanding Romans 6.23, the wages of your sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It, It looks like you coming to that truth first if you never have following Jesus. But what does following Jesus look like? It looks like a next step after that. After you know that the wages of your sin is death, and after you know that the gift of God is eternal life, and after you understand that that eternal life is only in Christ Jesus, you have a next step to take. Take up your cross, leave your life, and follow him. Blank check. You wouldn't give a blank check to your 14-year-old But God ain't your 14-year-old. You give a blank check and you say, you fill in the amount. Maybe you submit to him. You follow in believer's baptism because you've trusted Jesus. But you've never taken that first step of obedience of public profession. That's what baptism is. Identifying with the body of believers, particularly the local body. In this case, called First Baptist Church. Conforming your life to him. Maybe joining a local body of believers, joining a church. Skin in the game is what I called it last week. You're going to start hearing that phrase a lot because I want to start focusing on what it means to join a church. Your name is on a roll, yes. You vote in business meetings, yes. But you are taking ownership. You are saying, the, this is my family now. Yeah, you can say it, but until you have, it's not a contract, but you are contracting to be a member and all that goes with that, until you say that, it's easy to leave that relationship. But will you join the church and say, I'm going to contribute financially? Yes, but much more than that. You can share your decision with us on a connection card online if you're watching online. And one more way you can take a next step, and I'm going to start focusing on this too, is maybe you need to worship through giving. QR code is going to be on the screen, and you can scan that. Boxes in the back. That's a next step too, because maybe you don't. Maybe tithing, giving, offerings, that's not, I haven't, well, maybe that's your next step today. You support the ministry of the church. North American Mission Board, seminaries, international missions, so many things that I'm going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Will you make room for God this morning in whatever way he says to? Let's pray. 
Father, we ask that, that you'd clean off our shelves, clean out our closets. Mm -mm, we don't want you on the shelf or in a closet. How about you clean out our living rooms, clean out our bedrooms? You make room. We make room. You, you stand over us like we do our children. Now pick that, now clean that up, now get that out of the way. That we make room for you. And God, to make room for you might look like putting our faith not in kings and bad shepherds, but putting our faith in Christ. Not first-time salvation, but we've begun to trust other things. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe... Maybe we need to be bolder in our own prophesying, our own stand for truth. We've gotten weak-kneed. We've gotten worried. We don't sharpen iron. Oh, we're great at yelling at the world, but we wink at what's going on among our believing family and friends. God, maybe we just need to come and say, we make room, do whatever you want to. I don't know what you're asking at the moment, and that's okay. We don't have to know now. We just have to be willing to listen when the time comes. So, Lord, we pray that we would make room for you, that you would do something huge in our hearts individually and start with the preacher. Start with me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like to pray, if you'd like to receive Christ, if you'd like to announce to the world that you've done it, you've got other things you want to pray about, I'll be up here to my right. Chelsea will be to my left. Two of our deacons, Lee and uh, Kirk, will be in the back. Justin, our youth minister, will also be in the back. We have opportunity for you to pray. For somebody to pray with you, somebody to pray for you, or you can just come up here and do it on your own. But as we sing... We're going to sing a different song. Never mind, we're not going to sing a different song. We're going to sing, is it Make Room, that's the name of it? Make Room. Let's stand and worship and do business with God this morning.